Um, just things that are coming up, things that are happening. If, uh, if you had to guess, let's just see if some guesses out here. How many, what's your guess, how many kids, how many kids under the age of 17, so 16 and under, children at City Life? What's your guess? 30. Great guess. We got it going. Anyone else? We have 20, 30, 25, 26, 36. What? 40. 27. 28. Good. All good guesses. So... <laughs> 44. There's, so as, the, as Tracy and Anna are our kids' ministry coordinators next door, as they have been planning for next year, for as we get through the summer and get into the fall, um, that number kind of sits heavy. 44 uh, children. Um, we probably have um, around 120 people who would call us their church home, you know, from all ages, but 44 of those um, are children. And so we have, although they're strategizing and planning, we have an incredible need for you to step up in some way and help. We, we need you to be praying for the kids' ministry, and we need people who are willing to come in and help once a month as a teacher or a helper. You've got some time to consider this, to pray about this, because we're planning really for next fall. Um, and I can just tell you that even as they get through these weeks leading up to summer, it's, they're, scraping, they're scraping by to cover what's needed with the classes that they have. And so we're hoping next fall looks different. All it would really take would be like four or five extra people to say, I'll do one time a month for, the, for next year's kind of nine-month period from September to like May. Four, four more people just doing once a month would radically change the picture for what we're able to do in terms of serving those kids um, in their needs. Um, so just please pray about that and think about that. Um, <clears throat> We had a retreat a, couple, a few weeks ago, almost a month ago, and we've been talking at some of our meetings about how some things rose to the surface and resonated at this retreat, and we had a lot of um, brainstorming and considering where our church is and where it's going, and, and these things were big highlights that a lot of people at the retreat resonated. We had about, I think, 23-ish people at this retreat, and um, so these things stood out. The idea of... Sabbath, the need for Sabbath and slowing down, the need for at City Life particularly for more of our lives to interconnect so that we would get to know each other better. We've had a pretty high tolerance for hands-off, disconnected, um, and giving people their space, but it feels like a time and a need for growing in deeper. And then the third one is like getting deeper into faith and learning. So the kinds of things that happen at Sunday, adult Sunday school in the back at 9.30 and other things that will help us dig into deeper spiritual growth. So I just want to put those out there as ways, uh, as things for you to mentally consider where you stand in those kinds of things and to look forward to ways that we'll be planning, planning to accomplish more of those things in the future. Uh, we also, we watched a video that was, that really resonated and that started a lot of that discussion, and we're going to link that in an email coming out this week. It's by a pastor from New York City called Peter Scazzaro, 
And if you've seen our website, we have a quote from him right on the front of the website. Um, and he, he, he basically has written a lot of books about emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy churches and emotionally healthy uh, leadership. And so we watched him talk about some of this stuff. And you're welcome to watch that video and get a little bit inspired and catch some of what we were catching at that retreat. Um, this week, as I mentioned, we have Good Friday at 6 o'clock and then Easter, our Easter service at 10.30 next week, normal time and then an egg hunt afterwards. We will not have adult Sunday school in the back next week. Take a break from that. And then the week after that, we start into a 12-week study of the Psalms in which you will need a small book which helps guide you in the homework for that study. So please talk to me if you're interested. Um, You don't have to be able to be there all 12 weeks. It'll be basically 12 weeks in a row starting April 28th. You don't have to be there all 12 weeks, but when you do come, it is something where you have to have this book and you have to do some of the prep work. So... That's going on. Um, Our passage today is from Luke, and who's our reader? Jen is our reader. I don't have, oh, actually I do. I have a a copy right here. It's got a bunch of scribbles and notes on it, but, and, stop right here. All right. Today's reading is Luke chapter 19, verse 28 to 40. It can be found on page 969 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The word of the Lord. was on. Oh, there we go. Wait. The light? Okay, there we go. We need a full technology upgrade across the board. Projector, microphone, everything. New pastor. No, just, <laughs> <laughs> just to say, some of it could be my, my uh, inadequacies, my, my fault with the electronics. Hey, so Palm Sunday. Are we good? Lights on. There we go. We're getting something now. Everything's being a little quirky. 
Um, Palm Sunday, and we had this question of the week. Who seems to be society's authorities right now? What do you guys think? Who are the authorities? Whoever makes the most money. What would you say? Psychic? Like Robin? Who? Twitter. Someone, kids? Someone put the Twitter mob. Um, politicians, the military, corporations. Yeah, who has authority? Who do we listen to? You know, if you think about it, everybody's sitting here and you have authorities, even though we're so anti-authority these days and we, you know, we're so independent and... It, you know, the, the truth is you have authorities in your life, and you can actually do some really interesting work to kind of get in there and go like, oh, wait, actually, how, how is maybe, how am I just kind of following sort of certain voices, certain authority voices in our culture that, um, you know, day in and day out, I don't even realize that that's where it's coming from. And I just think like I'm so, so, you know, free and clear and making my own choices, and I have these values that I've chosen, I've made them up, and I've... And a lot of times it's just an amalgamation of the authorities that have been around us growing up. So we have authorities. And as we come into Palm Sunday, we look at this question, we look at this passage that Jen just read, and maybe it went over your head, as often happens with me on just hearing or reading out of the blue. But where are the palm branches in the Hosannas? This as Luke tells the story of Palm Sunday, the palms are missing and the Hosannas aren't there which seem to be two key ingredients when you look at the other Gospels when they describe Jesus entering into Jerusalem. But what Luke does have um, <clears throat> is he has the concept of authority. He has authority. And Jesus is the authority. And you see it coming out in a bunch of different ways. One of the things you might know if you've read a little bit about Jesus and read some of the stories is that they, there's this thing that is said about him several times. He taught as one with, with authority. He taught as one who had authority, and then often what is added onto that is not like the teachers of the law or the Pharisees. Not, so there were people in his day who, had, who were authorities, who were teaching. Jesus came in, though, and it was like, he taught as one with authority. It was just clear. It was obvious. Either in how he did his teachings or in just what, what he exuded as he did that. And so, and then we have in this passage now, far along through a lot of those stories of, in Luke, as he tells all these different stories where Jesus has this authority and is speaking with authority and teaching with authority. Now he's acting with authority on this journey into Jerusalem when everybody's you have to kind of understand everybody's making a journey and a pilgrimage from all the different places. All the faithful people of God are trying to be devout. They're trying to do the right thing religiously to follow through on their faith. And they know they need to go to Jerusalem because this is an important feast day and they're going to celebrate Passover. And so they're all on this road. Jesus does, does several things on that road that seem to have authority. First of all, He's acting kind of like a choreographer. It, the story itself seems like he's setting some things up so that this will, that this matters. His entrance into Jerusalem matters to him. And so he's saying, you know, go set this up, go do this. He seems to know what he wants to happen here. He seems to know where these events are going. He's, he's the choreographer. 
He also, in addition to being like a choreographer, he's a little bit like the head, um, the head of a secret agency in a spy movie. Because you have this scene that you can almost drop into one of our movies today and just change some of the details where he tells his agents to go into the town and he tells them exactly what they'll meet, that you'll see a cult. And what you are to do when you meet that cult is you are to start untying it and when some, then someone will ask you why are you untying it and then you give them the code secret words. You know, it feels a little bit like just kind of strange and kind of odd, but there's authority in this. Jesus is lining things up. And then, of course, the code words are, the Lord needs it. You know, it would be interesting to try that sometime. You see a car that you like, and to just go start getting ready to drive it off, and someone says, where are you going with my car? And you just say, the Lord needs it. And just see what happens. I don't think it will go well. But Jesus knew somehow in this instance that this was just going to work. I have no idea how or why people conjecture and they say, well, Jesus was familiar. You know, he had been here before. He met someone. He knew someone. You know, it was prearranged. Sure, it's, all that's legitimate, fine ways to explain it. But I, we're not really given the explanation, just that Jesus is, has some authority in making this happen. And, of course, that phrase, the Lord needs it, implies loads of authority. It's not, notice, it's not rabbi. It would be a little bit authoritative, you know, a teacher, you know, he's, he's a somebody. No, the Lord, this is like, you know, the kind of language you use when you're talking about the emperor, you know. Caesar is Lord. So the Lord needs it. It's full of authority in this passage. Then as, he, as, as things progress, now the, they're marching in, they're coming over the Mount of Olives, they're, they're coming down the hill into Jerusalem, um, approaching the city, and people are laying their clothes on the ground. <clears throat> this is what you do for royalty, right? This is, they're laying their clothes down to be you know, walked on by, these, by this, this donkey or this cult of a donkey on the way into Jerusalem for Jesus. They're singing joyful songs. I mean, this is authority. In the, the cult he's writing, the, it's, a, it's either a donkey or a, a young horse. We're not really sure, but as the passage we read earlier that is being alluded to suggests it's the, it's the cult of a donkey, so a young donkey, hadn't been ridden before. So there's some sort of like, this is the first person to ride on this animal. And the people, of course, are singing songs that have the word king in it from Psalm chapter 118. <clears throat> so there's authority. There's authority, authority, authority around a Jesus. And Luke is the investigator. He's the gospel writer who really is kind of like an investigative reporter. And so he tells us why they are joyfully worshiping him. He's, he's careful to give us the why of, of why these songs, and he, basically, and he says, if I can find it here with my, <clears throat> with my eyes, let's see. Oh yeah, they began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now that's really important. These are not people... These are people responding to Jesus' authoritative presence in their life. These are not people casually, who could casually have a conversation, say, in their dorm room late at night. Do you think this Jesus is a thing? 
I don't know. Well, there's this. Well, there's that. Is, is he a somebody, a nobody? Do you think we should follow him? I don't know. They couldn't have that kind of casual conversation about this Jesus because they had seen, they had let Jesus in. They had seen the miracles in his life. These people had allowed him to be in their lives in such a way that he loved them, that he healed their children, that, they ca- that he cast the evil out of their lives. And so... <clears throat> They're seeing Jesus this way, of him having come into their lives. He naturally had an authority that they were more than happy to grant him. When someone, when you've let someone into your life and they've cast out evil and loved you like no one before and brought healing, you love that authority. Bring more of it in. That's these people. It's something to consider. And then there's a, natural, there's a point where really, so that's one group of people you could say in this story. There's, there's really three. And this comes out when you get to verse 37. And this is pivotal. This is where the passage kind of opens up to a broader, uh, broader concept, really, a broader picture, a broader set of pathways that we need to consider when, the, when it says this in verse 37. When he came near to the place, well, no, let's see, that's, no, not, not verse 37. I got the wrong verse. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. What happens here? When, this, when we get this verse, is that we stop and we say, okay, what's going on? Who are these people, these Pharisees, stopping, saying, saying stop your disciples? And what we have to realize is that there's really three groups of people with respect to Jesus' authority. And let's consider it this way. Let's consider where we stand within these three groups. Now, we just talked about the one group. <clears throat> there's also a third group that we won't spend a ton of time on. The third group is... Uh, this group that is basically the, author- the Jewish or the Roman authorities. And this group I would define by people who Jesus is a complication to be silenced. Jesus is a danger to be exterminated. And as we know, Good Friday, this plays out. There are these authorities that are going to clamp down and they're going to snuff out Jesus. Jesus has no authority. Jesus has no place. He will have no impact on my life. I don't want anything to do with him done. So there's that group that's going to be come into play here. But there's this other group, and you might be surprised, this, let's call it the middle group, and there are these Pharisees here where it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I know that you're prepared to be really upset with these people. You've been taught by the church and by a lot of passages in scripture to say, oh, Pharisees, I know, the people we love to hate. The bad guys, right? The guys who are always plotting against Jesus, trying to trap him. And the, the New Testament actually doesn't paint all Pharisees into this category. There's some that end up kind of coming to Jesus at night and trying to find out more about him. There's some, some who are uh, followers of Jesus in the end. And these, we, Luke often does this where he paints Pharisees in kind of more of a, you know, we're not sure. They're... And in this passage, Luke doesn't give us any clear signs 
that this group is vehemently against Jesus. In fact, by what you just read here, you actually get the impression that they're, they're actually on Jesus' side. Because it says, first of all, that they're the Pharisees in the crowd. And this is a crowd coming from other places into Jerusalem. These are Pharisees who would have had places perhaps of leadership in small towns and whatever where they're coming from on this pilgrimage. They, they're part of the crowd that is worshiping Jesus. They might not really have, they might admire Jesus. They might be old friends with Jesus. They might say, Jesus has a lot of things to teach us. And Jesus has a lot of potential. You know, they might, you know, that now you notice they also, they also call him teacher. So they're not willing to go as far as others are in this passage of calling him Lord or King. But nonetheless, they're part of the crowd. They're not a part of the kind of Jerusalem establishment of people that will eventually are plotting to take Jesus' life. They don't seem to be a part of that group. Another clue is just the fact that they're saying, you know, rebuke your disciples. If they really wanted Jesus dead... Um, they probably would not say rebuke your disciples. They'd probably sit back and go, ah, this is perfect. Okay, here we go. Because they knew that what was happening and all this attention that was being brought to Jesus by this kind of impromptu parade as Jesus came in and singing of things like King and Lord, they knew that this was extremely dangerous. So they're voicing their concern as if they're, they, they don't want something to happen to Jesus. As if he's making a very foolish mistake. It's as if um, you went to go visit Washington, D.C. and all the sites and everything with some friends and you took along that old friend, that class clown from high school. Um, just imagine somebody like that. And, you de- and you deci- they decide, all of a sudden you notice when you're looking at the White House that they're climbing the fence. They think it'd be funny to climb the fence to go on the White House lawn with like a squirt gun in their hand or something. And you say, No! That's, this is not funny. You know, this ends badly for you and maybe for us. Do not do this. You are crazy right now. What are you thinking? And that's the kind of ridiculous feeling that the Pharisees, if, if they actually care about Jesus, stop this. Do you even know what's going to happen when we get... Man, they would have said, if the Roman authorities don't squash you and kill you by the end of the week, the Jewish authorities will. And they did. They, and they, that's, that's this kind of concern by these people who you might say are kind of, you know, fans of Jesus. Jesus, you don't have enough political connections right now to gather this kind of resistance and crowd. Jesus, we don't have enough soldiers to enter into the city against the centurions. Jesus, you don't have enough strategy to take over the city right now. And so we have the middle group. The middle group, they're sort of, you know, they're good with Jesus. They're intrigued with Jesus. And yet when it comes to this kind of risky behavior, they really don't trust. They really don't trust that Jesus knows what he's doing. And so that's what we got to ask ourselves today. You know, you have the group that we've already seen that is, they have let Jesus into their life. He has brought healing and renewal and they want more of it. They want more authority. Then you have the third group who shuts Jesus down immediately. There's no hope. But I think there's a lot of times our lives exhibit the middle group. We find ourselves going in and out of this middle group. You know, you're an ally of Jesus. You know, you're, you've got Jesus as your Facebook wallpaper, right? 
You're a fan of Jesus. But really, you have no room for Jesus to take you into a risky path. Really, you don't have any room for Jesus to surprise you. Really, you don't have any room for Jesus to, to, to look in your life like something impractical and uncomfortable. At City Life, this would be akin to you come here on Sunday, but you live all the rest of the week by the narratives of your friends, neighbors, co-workers. It looks no different when it really comes down to it. In terms of money, in terms of politics, in terms of your sex life, in terms of your fears, in terms of your angers, in terms of your longings, it, it would be hard to make any distinction between kind of the temporal world around you and the way that we are just saturated with how to navigate these things. There's a sense in which you have all these areas of your life that are untransformed by the authority of Jesus. And, you know, hey, sometimes you're really honest about that, and you're looking for help. You're looking how to break through and to let Jesus have that authority. Sometimes you don't know how. I think as we enter into Holy Week, this is, this is what is before us. I think this passage wants us to consider where are we? Are we perhaps like these very practical-minded Pharisees who when it really comes down to it, we're not calling Jesus by authoritative terms and we're not trusting that he knows what he's doing with our lives and with our world. Now, if you're in group one, remember group one are these people who have had such an experience of Jesus' healing, loving authority in their life that they're they're, they're just, they can't help it. They're bowing. They're shouting. They, they, can't, they just want more and more authority. They want to act as if Jesus is the authority in their life. That's the first group. And as, if you're in this kind of a group and you're entering into Holy Week, then you're probably going to be entering into a solemn journey of deep inner sorrow. <clears throat> that Jesus goes into this journey for you, goes to the cross for you, and you enter into all of that means, and it's so joyous for him to be that kind of authority for you. But there's a whisper of hope because you've tasted and you know about the authority of the empty tomb and the hope that Jesus has authority even over death. And this has rung true in your life, and you enter in deeply and, and really with sorrow into this week. But if you're in the middle group, Holy Week will risk being too confusing for you to be of any help, in a sense. Like it's confusing for these Pharisees on the journey. It's just confusing. How do I make sense of what's happening around me? And if you ask me, then I would say dive into the holy, prayerful confusion. Dive into the confusion of Holy Week. It's not an easy, simple thing to make sense of. Palm Sunday leading to what we call Maundy Thursday and Jesus holding this Passover feast and washing his disciples' feet. And then Friday, Good Friday, the journey of suffering and torment and mockery on the cross, leading to this sort of day of Saturday being this in-between day, and then Sunday being finally grabbing hold fully of Easter resurrection and what that tells you about all the week that just went by. Enter in to the confusion of it as a transformation chamber almost this week. Let this week shape you. And my hope would be that something opens up where you want to let Jesus swing open the doors in areas of your life, such as your health or your relationships or your, your money 
or your sex life or your wounds. Jesus, come in and drive out the evil in my life. Bring in the healing. Hold my children. Hold my insecure, shameful, or fearful heart. This is Holy Week. You're welcome to enter. Let's pray. Our God of grace, in the hurts and wounds, challenges, and opportunities of our lives and celebrations, may we see this journey to the cross and the empty tomb. And although we may understand, we may misunderstand 90% of it, may you May your light kind of sneak in through the other cracks. And may your light bring transformation and what we desperately need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We respond to hearing God's word through offering prayers on behalf of our church and the world. The communal response is, Lord, hear our prayer. And you will also be invited to join your voices together at the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Father, your word says that in you we have been set free from our old ways and are being made whole and new each day. Help us as we straddle between the reality of our brokenness and the hope of being renewed according to your image, that we may be a body that reflects your light, love, peace, and truth to those around us. For the peace of the world, that you might intervene to resolve those conflicts that are on the edge of violence, bring an end to violence already underway, and inspire inspire people everywhere to seek the common good of the world. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For our sisters and brothers in Louisiana who found their churches burned these past few weeks, targeted with racist violence because they are black. We ask that you would uproot the evil of racism from all of our hearts and shatter the myths of white supremacy with the goodness of your gospel. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For those who suffer chronic pain and illness, whose lives are so consistently impacted, while so many of us are ignorant and forgetful of the burdens they bear, we ask that you would bring healing and strength and relief and that you would empower us to be good friends and neighbors who are there for others in their suffering. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And now we join together in the words given by Jesus to his disciples, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. We continue our response to God through our offering. While the musical offering is being played, we use this time of worship to give back to God and God's work from what he has entrusted to us. If you are visiting, this is a special reminder that this is not a moment of pressure to give, but we do love getting those contact cards in the bulletin and finding ways to answer questions or follow up with your needs. Uh, Let's frame this moment by joining together with the offering prayer. Compassionate God, your love finds full expression in the gift of Jesus Christ, your Son, 
who willingly met betrayal and death to set us free from sin. Give us courage to live obediently in these days until we greet the glory of our risen Savior. Amen. our time of communion. You'll be invited in a few minutes to come forward and be able to receive the bread and dip it in the cup. We generally work from the front to the back. We have gluten-free vegan wafers here that you can grab on your way up. There's the table with baptismal water that you can acknowledge and touch as you make your way forward. And then you can receive the piece of bread and dip it in the cup and eat it on your way back to your seat. The smaller partition has grape juice in the cup. And we welcome children to the table, but we kind of look to parents' discretion on that. So you can give us an indication to let us know if your children are participating. Um, And that's kind of what we're going to be doing uh, logistically. In terms of the deeper meanings and what's going on with this time, it's a time that Jesus Jesus has given this to us to do. And so uh, there's a lot of mystery to it. Uh, but what is clear is that it points us to Jesus, it points us to Jesus' work, and what we know about all of that is that Jesus, that Jesus is the one who is a redeemer and who uh, ushers us into the presence of God by his actions so that we know if you're a Christian, you're welcome into God's presence, and that's, that's really the gospel. That's the thing we're all struggling to believe is true. Are we acceptable? Is, is God okay with me? This table declares that it is true and that those who um, put their faith in Jesus have this assurance that you're welcome into the very presence of God. God loves you and that the way that love is accomplished is through his own work through Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb. So this table declares all of that to you and you may not be at a point where you're ready yet for this table. You might be not sure of those things or not grabbing hold of those truths In a sense, you're not a Christian yet, and that's okay. Take your time if, for whatever reason, you need to stay in your seat while others come forward. Um, That's okay. Um, We start by, I'm going to invite you to stand in body and in spirit, um, and we'll have a chance to say together the statement of faith, the Apostles' Creed, um, as we enter into this time and into some of the words around this time that bring meaning into what we're doing. So I invite you to proclaim your faith together saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the perfection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right for us to give thanks and praise. 
O Lord our God, creator and ruler of the universe, in your wisdom you made all things and sustained them by your power. You made us in your image, setting us in your world to love and serve you and to live in peace with your whole creation. From generation to generation you have guided us, sending prophets to turn us from wayward paths into the way of righteousness. Out of your great love for the world, you sent your only Son among us to redeem us and to be the way to eternal life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with choirs of heaven who forever sing to the glory of your name, saying, Holy, 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 Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As one of us, our Lord Jesus, your Son, our Lord, he knew our joys and sorrows and our struggles and temptation. He was like us in every way except sin. In him, we see what you created us to be. Though blameless, he suffered willingly for our sin. Though innocent, he accepted death for the guilty. On the cross, he offered himself a perfect sacrifice for the life of the world. By his suffering and death, he freed us from sin and death. Risen from the grave, he leads us to the joy of new life. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from these gifts you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Glorious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and wine. Lead us, O God, in the way of Christ. Give us courage to take up our cross and in full reliance upon your grace to follow him. Help us to love you above all else and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, demonstrating that love in deed and word in the power of your spirit. Give us strength to serve you faithfully until the promised day of resurrection, when with the redeemed of all ages we will feast with you at your table in glory. We pray to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and everyone says, Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> On that night that our Lord would be betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup after the meal. He said, this is the cup of a new covenant in my blood shed for the complete forgiveness of all your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Together we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. <clears throat> 